Hi, and welcome to the School Health Educators Podcast, where we discuss health education and how to best teach health ed in the K-12 setting. And welcome to the School Health Educators Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Reichel, the New York State Health Educator who believes in what we do. For today's episode, I invited some people to join me who I've met over the years on my professional path so they can provide some words of advice, or if they don't mind me saying it, sage advice for those of us in the field. Basically, within this episode, each of these guests will answer three questions One, what was your career, or what is still your career? Two, what were the best parts of being a health educator, including any best memories? And then three, what advice do you have for current and future health education teachers? So to introduce each guest, I'm going to let you know how I first met each person and then have them answer the first question about their careers. Now, warning, these folks know one another, so I don't know if they're going to be on their best behavior, yet it might be funner if they're not. So to start off, is Dr. Gary English. And Dr. Gary English, I am, I, I, it's so cool that I met him originally in New York. I'm originally from New York as a health education teacher. And I had the privilege of being in the first cohort of the New York State Healthy Leadership Institute. I was a health educator as well as a coordinator. And that's when I met you, Gary. So thank you so much for being here. And do you mind telling us a little bit about your your career? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I guess I got to go back quite a few years, but um, they all can relate to this. Um, you know, I guess uh, when I was in my undergraduate program, I really became more interested in health over the years. Um, having gone through the program as a health and physical education uh, major, um, I was paired with Whitey Alpers in Hutchinson, Kansas. Uh, who was was a very good uh, physical educator. And then I did some uh, health education under another gentleman. But um, Whitey is the one that really got me interested in attending the school conferences and, and beyond. And uh, I think Daryl can attest to the fact that uh, he was quite the character and, uh, and really uh, dedicated to the field, but uh, that got me rolling. So, um, my first job was in Ripley, Oklahoma, and I taught K through 12 uh, science, health education, physical education. I coached five sports and I drove the bus at the end of the day, the activity bus. Wow. All for about $860 a month. Wow. Um, so did that for a year. Um, after that year, I took a year off and spent it in Vail, Colorado. Uh, working for Vail Associates, and that was kind of fun. During that time, I got connected with Daryl and uh, headed off to Emporia State University, where he was my professor, um, when I really kind of took a bigger interest in health education. So uh, Daryl, again, was somebody who influenced me along the way and um, you know had me set up for a job there in Emporia. And I guess there was a bidding war at the time, but I ended up in Kansas City, Kansas, where I taught health and physical education for five years. Um, 
again, uh, a connection through Daryl was uh, with Dick Papenfus down in uh, University of New Mexico. And I decided that yeah, I'd like to do some work in higher education. So Daryl connected me with Dick, uh, got a graduate assistantship and uh, ended up at the University of New Mexico for three years where I got my doctoral degree. Upon graduation, I ended up back in New York where I grew up at Ithaca College. And I was there for 13 years as a department head and um, teaching uh, only health education. And uh, that's when I really kind of kind of took off with that. After that, I, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Lori, you're laughing and it's like, wow, I didn't know all that. But uh, after that, I um, took a job with New York State APERD that was really part of the um, association with the CDC as school health coordinator for the state. And I uh, did that for, I believe it was three years before taking on a similar job in Oregon, uh, where I did that for another three years before returning back to higher education at Western Kentucky University, which is where I retired from until last week when I was asked to return for, yeah, for the, uh, <laughs> for the fall semester, but just teaching one or two courses. So. Okay. That's where I'm headed. But, um, you know, in a nutshell, that's pretty much it. Thank you, Gary. And if you're going to be teaching, we have to talk about whether or not we can connect some of our students together. Because I, it might be that we can do some kind of collaboration work, like you helped me last spring, in which I have to do a shout out. Uh, Gary helped me explain the whole school, whole community, whole child framework. He was actually the prosecuting prosecutor for a fake court case. And the students, the graduate students in the course, loved it. It was the highlight of their semester, potentially the highlight in their whole program because it was interactive. It was, it kept their interest. So thank you so much for doing that and for introducing yourself. Thank you. Now, one of the people that uh, Gary kept on referring to is Dr. Daryl Lang, who's also here. And what's interesting with uh, Dr. Lang, I met him through Gary at a an AFERD. Before it was SHAPE, it was called AFERD, but I know there are some like names that were changed somehow in between. Um, but I met you, Daryl, at an AFERD conference. I think it was in Salt Lake City. And I thought it was really interesting that once I received my doctorate, I ended up working at the University of La Crosse, in which you were you worked there at a certain point of your career. Right, correct. So thank you for being here. And do you mind telling us, Daryl, more of or a little bit about your your career path? Sure. Yeah. My career path is I'm I'm originally from Iowa. And um after I graduated, I was in the Marine Corps for a while and and I was uh, discharged on Halloween. Could you imagine that? That's that's significant on Halloween. Spooky. Yeah, spooky is right. And then I uh, took a job in um, in upstate New York teaching high school health. Um, I should have known because the high school contacted me and uh, they're willing to pay for me to come from Iowa to um, interview for a high school teaching job. Now, that doesn't happen. But that should have told me that... Um, I should have known what the problem was, and it was that it was an issue that we're not going to go into. But uh, I took the position and uh, was there for a period of time, and then uh, uh, my uh, father-in-law passed away at a young age, and he was only fifty-six. And my 
the son was had was only about a year and a half old, and so decided to go back to Iowa. Back to Iowa and taught at uh, uh, at a high school in a small high school in Iowa for a period of about five years. Then I taught at the University of Wisconsin La Crosse, and then from there I went to uh, uh, Emporia State, uh, and that's where. Uh, Gary came as a graduate assistant, and I was there for uh, about 12 years. And then I left and went to the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh as a department chair. And I was there for about four years. And then uh, then I went back to Kansas and uh, was um, worked for the Kansas Department of Education under a CDC grant in charge of HIV, AIDS, and human sexuality and uh, health and phys ed. And I was there until I retired and I've been retired now. So 10 years, 10 years. Yeah. So kind of retired. I still teach some online classes for different people. Uh, and um, so that's, that's kind of what I do. Yep. Well, thank you so much for explaining that Daryl. And can I ask you remember where you taught in Iowa at the high school? Yeah. What so town? Small high school called Turkey Valley. Turkey in, Valley. In Jackson Junction, Iowa. Turkey Valley was five little towns that consolidated 1960. They're all German, Czechoslovakian Catholic communities. I'm not of the Catholic faith, which was interesting, teaching human sexuality in the, the school like that. But it was um, it was about uh, 30 miles from Decorah. So you have okay. some idea where Decorah is. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you again. And then last but not least is Dr. David Wiley, in which, David, you and I got connected when I started doing my doctoral work at Texas A&M. I remember you did a lot of work that some of the, the, um, the faculty was very involved in regarding pregnancy prevention. And then I think I got to know you even better when I actually participated in the International Conference on the Health Risks of Youth. And that conference was, that was, it was a wonderful conference, wonderful networking, uh, and the most beautiful location for a conference I think I've ever gone to, because we were in Los Cabos. Yeah. Do you mind giving some of your background? Yeah. So, so briefly, uh, my name is David Wiley. I'm a native Texan. I lived here my entire life and I was a, uh, high school, um, athletic trainer in my first life. And as a part of that, you had to have a teaching field and I didn't really care much about teaching. Uh, but I, okay, I wanted to, you know, get a job as an athletic trainer and it ended up being that I, uh, got health and phys ed and I taught biology my first year and I ended up liking the teaching more than I did the athletic training. And so from there, I got uh, really involved, uh, at the graduate level, a master's degree. And then I went, uh, uh, University of Texas to get my doctoral degree. And then I stayed at Texas State University uh, in San Marcos, Texas, which is just between Austin and San Antonio for 30 years. I was going to stay three and three turned into 30. And as a part of that, I met a lot of really uh, wonderful people in the field, including uh, Daryl and Gary and a bunch of other folks that have uh, really helped my career along. And somewhere in that uh, mix, I got really interested in teen uh, human sexuality, teen pregnancy prevention. And uh, in 2008, I started the Texas campaign to be prevent teen pregnancy. And one of the reasons I got really involved with this uh, 
was in teen pregnancy prevention, actually in sexual health in, in a lot of cases. It's a predominantly female-dominated world, and men have not done a whole lot um, in, in terms of pregnancy prevention, education, et cetera. And so uh, I really got this uh, line of research. I was always interested in adolescent health, but really got interested in teen pregnancy prevention, sex ed, uh, challenging the religious right, and uh, uh, how they would, were uh, trying to censor uh, health ed teachers and that kind of stuff. So I got really active in that stuff and brought along a bunch of my grad students as well. And again, the, uh, some of them ended up at Texas A&M, some of them started at Texas A&M, but they were also interested in sexual health and teen pregnancy prevention. And so that's uh, that's kind of what got me rolling. And uh, I, was, I left Texas State in 2019 and I have already failed at retirement in that I've got a little part-time job now working for a uh, nonprofit and we're doing, uh, uh, we have access to funds to do free mammograms for low-income women. So I'm their That's outreach right. coordinator to go talk to groups and get the information out there. So I'm actually uh, continuing to help in, in the field, actually probably helping directly more than I ever did in higher education because we take these low-income women and we get them free mammograms and find them a medical home and it's really rewarding stuff. So uh, even though I left higher ed, I'm still trying to contribute. So that's kind of the, the short version. Wonderful. Well, thank you. And thank you to all three of you for being here and for telling us more about your path of what you did in your career. And I have to do a little um, a fun fact. I don't know if it's so fun, though, for people that aren't aware of how states look at sex ed. I did not know this until I was living in Texas, that not all states mandate medically correct information to be taught in the K through 12 setting as it pertains to certain health education topics. That's like a duh, you should be ethical and provide all the correct information. Yeah. Lori, you know, one thing I would maybe say to you is that I was on the uh, board of directors of CECUS and so Sex Information Education Council of the United States. So that's a resource for a lot of your possible students or individuals listening to podcast. And uh, they provide this, a plethora of materials that can help in looking at the various states and what they're doing as far as comprehensive human sexuality education. Because those are changing. Each state is changing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I'll make sure that is definitely linked on the website for the podcast. Thank you for bringing up Seekers. Yep. Thank you. Okay, so going on to the second question that I have for you is what were the best parts of being a health educator or any best memories that you want to share with us? Some of the best memories were meeting you and David and Gary. You know, it's uh, the, the actually, if Don would have been here, the, the, the four amigos, we, we get together every year for a guy's weekend, some state or some city somewhere around the country. And that, you know, they, the police are warm before we get there, but, but uh, one of the, but that's a, that's one of the things is the, uh, the individuals that get to meet uh, and share uh, professionalisms with them. And then the other thing is, is that seeing the students who uh, I, I got, I had a student who I had in Turkey Valley in 1975 called me about two months ago and she located me. And then she said, I've been trying to find you. And she said, and as soon as you answer the phone, I go, I can, I recognize that voice. 
And I said, well, you know, and she says, do you still have that mental health calendar that you used to put up every day in the office, in the, uh, in your room? And I had this old mental health calendar. There was one head for every, every month and it had a different statement for every day. And she said, I still remember that and think about that all the time. So that type of thing. And then the other thing is, is, uh, you know, students who then went on to graduate school and like Gary and other people who have now become department chairs or deans and uh, just seeing that that's going from that that point on, you see that that growth that it's exciting to see that that delivery. Wow. Thank you. Well, and I will say that um, I concur with with Daryl. I've made some lifelong friends, uh, had no idea that would happen. Also, I had lunch with a former graduate student actually this past week was one of my best graduate students ever. And she is continuing to work in the field. And it's really nice to see you lay some, you know, uh, lay some seed out there and, and fertilize it and watch these people grow up to do even better things than than, than I did. Uh, one thing that I think was also the, the most telling was, uh, and this is kind of a problem too, in Texas, m- it used to be health education was a required course. It is no longer. But what we would attract are basically people who were interested in being athletic coaches, and they weren't really interested in being teachers. And so what would happen, they would take a, a course like health education that you intentionally have to try to make it boring and found a way to do it consistently. And so what I was really jazzed by was when some of these students got to college they had never really had a good health education experience and just watching their faces light up when you actually do professional things, skill-based training, uh, talking about standards, tying things to outcome, student-based outcomes, and them actually getting it instead of, oh, gee, are we going to do the questions at the end of the chapter? And so that gave me a lot of hope. And, and, and not only that, but the fact that um, these people then, many of them would go into school health with a completely different attitude because they would, they were more likely to do what they had seen in the past, which was just do the bare minimum, get by and, you know, take off on Friday for the pep rallies. Well, I actually show them how you, there's so many resources out there. It's, it's so easy to do it the right way with the right amount of, of motivation. And that is carried on, you know, and that didn't, didn't reach everyone, but it represented a small percentage of people who actually are still in the field and doing good things. Thank you. Thank you. And the both of you, I mean, referring to former students, I mean, that's, they're wonderful. Our students are wonderful. Gary, how about you? And I'll go ahead and build on that. Uh, you know, in addition to the, the small, it's a small universe of school health educators for sure. And I think that that networking that we've done over the years, um, you know, has paid great dividends, but I think it's also created a lot of relationships, um, you know, personal relationships, opportunities to do things that maybe you wouldn't normally do. Um, maybe I have a little bit different take on this with students and stuff. You know, in my last 13 years, I've been uh, program head for the Department of Public Health, which is a little bit different than school health. Uh, I'm still the school health educator at heart, but but seeing how um, your perspective can change. Uh, we talk about sexuality education. We talk about all the things that we talked about in school health, but also getting a uh, students who are really into the the public side of health 
and uh, what they have done, some of the things that they have done, some of the places that they have gone to, and some of the places that they, some of the things that they've exposed me to. Um, it, it's all it's all a web. It's all a network of uh, how do we make all this work? And I think school health education is one of those uh, threads, if you will, that's part of the bigger schools. That's part of the biggest healthcare system. And um, you know that's that's been kind of exciting to experience over the years. I mean, even when we were do, working with the CDC and uh, within the departments of education, uh, there was always that little thread of public health that that had an interest in what we were doing. And I think that our universe is much bigger than what we think of in terms of uh, ourselves as health educators. Uh, and that was an exciting thing for me to experience over the years. Can can I ask this question? I know I didn't provide it for you before we met today, but what allowed all three of you, and then Dom, who wasn't available to be here today, what allowed all, all of you to stay connected? I mean, was it because of health education and just your, your belief in it? Because you all get along so well. Well, I think I think that obviously we had a, a shared uh, we had a shared uh, uh, interest academically. We also did workshops together over the years. We've gone all over the country, uh, in some cases all over the world, doing things together. And we're kind of in the somewhat in the same age group. Daryl is much 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 older than the rest of us, but uh, <laughs> we're kind of in that all same age group. We think a lot alike politically which is very important in uh, health education. And it just kind of morphed over time. And uh, we, uh, it, yeah, it, it didn't intend, it didn't start out like that, but it sure ended up that way. Yeah. Yeah, I am truly uh, chronologically superior, but, cognitive, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm also cognitively superior too. So. <laughs> Excellent. But, but I think the other thing that, um, you know, we kind of experience over the years is that we're from different parts of the country and have different experiences as to what we can and can't do. Um, you know, and I think as challenges arise, we kind of bounce it off each other and try to figure out ways to get our message across without offending too many people. And, um, you know, it seems to work pretty well and we're not afraid to get out there and experiment with some things. And it's just been a good relationship all across the board. Because I think the the networking, the reaching out, asking for help, that kind of stuff is so important that we some people might overlook. Like they think they have to do it all themselves. But like the three of you are fantastic resources to refer to. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, what advice do you have for current and future health education teachers? And anybody can start first. Yeah, let me go ahead and take this because I've been thinking about this for a couple of days. Right now, there is a huge political movement in the U.S. to censor uh, books, to control school board meetings, to censor teachers. Um, here in Texas, there's is the root of a lot of this stuff. Uh, I am very concerned. You know, there's a a big movement to you know there you have to remove all pornographic materials from Texas public schools, even though there's no definition for that term. And so what I'm worried about is that people are going to go overboard and remove anything dealing with sexual health, including basic biological, you know, we can't talk to anybody about the menstrual cycle anymore because somebody might consider that pornographic. And so I guess I'm, I'm concerned about that, obviously, from a censorship standpoint as a civil libertarian. But I'm also worried, I, I saw this a lot in my, in my uh, dealing with student teachers through my university, 
a lot of teachers self-censor themselves. They're so afraid they might get in trouble. They don't talk about birth control. They don't talk about LGBTQ issues. When in reality, the number of teachers who've been fired over that is, is almost imperceptible. And I think that's part of the issue is that people are so worried about what might happen that they self-censor and they're limiting access to information that's crucial for young people, especially in today's world. As, you know, when you look at when when we all started teaching, there weren't any laptop computers necessarily. There certainly weren't any cell phones. And nowadays, every kid in school is carrying a computer with them in their pocket. Yeah. And all they've got to do is click on that mouse twice and they can have the most uh, uh, pornographic, explicit uh, images that everyone want to have. Yet somehow parents are concerned that a, a trained and well-trusted teacher is somehow going to offend somebody. I don't get that. And so I guess my piece, my, my, my word of advice, two things. One is that if you're going to go into health education, be aware of controversy. And this could be anything. School safety is controversial. Nutrition is controversial. Obviously, sexual health is. But don't use this as an excuse to censor yourself that, oh, you might get in trouble. Uh, chances are no one's ever going to find out what you do once you close the door of your classroom anyway. And secondly, if you were by chance happen to get in trouble, you would be stunned at the number of people that would come out in your support. Yeah, I'd, I'd concur with David on that. Uh, going back to where, Lori, when you asked me where I taught in Iowa, I told you it was five little towns that consolidated in late in like 1960, German, Czechoslovakian, Catholic, and I'm not of the Catholic faith. First thing I did is I went to the five priests told him what I was going to teach in human sexuality, the pros and cons of every form of birth control, including the Billings method, which is taught in the Catholic church. And they said, fine, good. They just wanted to know that. And sometimes there were some parents that got a little upset. And, and I said, well, you know, I just, I'm going to use this, this, you know, this priest is long gone. So I'll just say, father Moran said it was okay. She goes, Oh, okay. That's fine. As long as I mentioned the father's, the priest's name. And I had students who, Who's, you know, who had just said, we don't get this information. Nobody tells us this information. And whether it's in nutrition, you know, it, it, you know, it, it, in, in the Midwest, especially in Iowa, and I just shouldn't say it this way, but, you know, it's, it, it's farm, farm families. It's, and it's, mm -hmm. I, I didn't grow up on a farm, but my mother did. And, and it was like, you know, eat all, eat your plate, you know, just think of all the kids starving in Armenia and had no idea where Armenia right. was, but it, but you know, it was hot. What is the nutrition that you, that you have? What is, you know, what are the pros and cons to everything? And you can't run around scared. You just got to know your, know your materials. And as David said, being open to people and also you'll be surprised how many people will be supportive of you. Gary, how about you? I would say um, a couple of things in relation to the discussion that David and Daryl uh, started. You know, let's not forget the uh, the concept of a school health council and uh, getting people on board before you get your foot in the in the in the poop, so to say. And um, you know, make sure that you have people that are going to back you up. I, I I've seen situations where there have been questions raised, and if you've got a council that's supportive. Uh, you're pretty safe that way. Mm -hmm. But in a bigger uh, context, what I'd say to incoming folks is, hey, don't be afraid to uh, get out there. Don't limit yourself just to school health education. It's a big world. Uh, there's plenty of work for everybody. Uh, if you want to be a specialist in one area, 
go for it. If you want to uh, expand your horizons, try something different. Um, I kind of look at health as a ministry, if you will. If you're interested in it, there's a place for you. If you're a numbers person, there's epidemiology. If you're a uh, social person, um, you know, there, there's a place for you there. I mean, it's just a broad, wide open field that um, is small in terms of the people that you will encounter in terms of colleagues, but uh, big in terms of the impact that you can have. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. One other thing I'd just like to say is that, that I think w- one of the things I've still continued to do is keep keep reading. You know, I just yeah. finished a book called Atomic Habits, which yeah. is a great book. It's a uh-huh. great book. And uh, it's kind of written almost like a PowerPoint. You could just create a PowerPoint off of it. But it's a very good book about developing habits and what are the triggers that go from various habits. So, enough, enough said to keep reading. I'm reading the same book. I'm just at the end of it. And I'm thinking, you know what? It's not just about making the goals. It's about those everyday things that you do in order to reach the goals. That's a great recommendation, that book. Yeah. You never know where you might use that. You might, you know, the the various things that we talked about, the various cultures that you get to know, you know, and I spent, when I retired, I went for three weeks down to Costa Rica and learned Spanish. And, and uh, it, by the time I was done three weeks, I could read, write, and speak Spanish. Wow. And, you know, I go to cultures like uh, David, and I took David with me to Guam, and he he became familiar with how to speak Guamese. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And he, he became aware of the Chamura culture, and, and it's a different culture, but it's important. Yeah. And, and he can attest that how many people were just, they were just so thirsty for information that they weren't getting so well and that's the thing too now daryl brought this up stuff that we consider to be pretty basic like oh well this this this, and this these people are writing down every word that we said and it gave me a real reset that wait a minute a lot of these folks these teachers are either not trained in health education or it's been a number of years because the stuff we were talking about was i thought relatively basic and kind of find out not at all so sometimes it involves reading your audience as well right definitely and, you know, that's that's kind of a topic for another day. But, you know, oftentimes when we start discussions in class, we talk about the educational process and how you've got primarily elementary teachers that have no background at all in health. You know, and we start hearing these horror stories of, you know, teachers encouraging their kids to have sex or whatever. And it's like, I don't know what teachers they are. And they certainly weren't trained as health educators. And that sometimes carries up through through high school. Well, I thank you so much for being here, David, Daryl, Gary. It is a pleasure seeing you all. And I hope I get to see you in person again soon, perhaps at the International Conference on the Health Risks of Youth or uh, another another conference. So I thank you so much for being here. Would you like to say goodbye to the listeners? Thank you for the invitation, Lori. You bet. Hasta la vista, baby. You're all. <laughs> And to our audience, thank you so much for listening in. Please remember, number one, to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Two, to check out the schoolhealtheducators.com website. There's a whole bunch of resources noted on there, including some that were, were, were referred to today, if I can only say it. And number three, please remember that you make a difference. You matter. You matter to kids. You matter to your your peers in the field. You matter for the future. 
So thank you so much again for listening in and please stay well.